Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. My next conversation is with Janet Dunnett. She's written a new book called The Dwindling, A Daughter's Caregiving Journey to the Edge of Life. This is a, a, an interview that you're going to want to hear. It's a, it's a book that you're absolutely going to want to read. This is not an academic piece. This is a, a story uh, about healing. It's a story about caregiving. It's an intimate portrait of a family that was dealing with a, a pretty challenging thing that, uh, according to, to StatsCan and to Janet's work, uh, one in four Canadians are currently dealing with, and we're going to be uh, uh, dealing with it as a culture and as individuals, something that she refers to as the edge or this idea of, uh, um, she talks about it uh, later on in the interview, but uh, about having a senior strategy, which for her is really I would say rooted in this power of community and power of, of story. We talk about um, about caregiving and we talk about assisted uh, dying to some degree. We talk about the guilt and the shame and the responsibility that 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 kind of exists around this thing uh, called assisted care. We talk about something called uh, you know stages of life as go 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 slow and and no go. And uh, and and Janet's uh, has a, has a wonderful way of of of, of finding meaning in in hmm, something that's uh, clearly. Uh, so challenging and, and 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 quite difficult. She talks about the death positive uh, movement and how to end life well. We need to we need to continue this conversation, and I and I need to continue this conversation with my family and with my friends. And so so stay tuned. Coming right up, uh, Janet Dunnett, uh, and don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about my my speaking and my writing, and also face to face live dot ca for 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 more interviews uh, about. Pretty much everything. So stay tuned. Uh, coming right up, um, the dwindling uh, with Janet Dunnett. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a very special guest here with us today. Janet Dunnett is here to talk about her new book, The Dwindling: A Daughter's Caregiving Journey to the Edge of Life. Janet, thanks for your time today. I appreciate you joining me on Face to Face. Great. It's wonderful to be here, Dave. So you, uh, it's a bit early for you to be doing kind of a, as what I, I'm going to say, an in-depth interview. You're on the West Coast, are you not? <laughs> Yeah, I am on the West Coast. I'm looking out at a sort of cloudy day. Thank God it's been so hot. 
waiting for the deer yes. to arrive. It's, uh, yeah, it's early, but it's a beautiful day starting out. Well, that's not a that's not a bad uh, that's not a bad way to get out of bed in the morning. It seems to me. So, so first of all, I just want to say congratulations on on the book, the dwindling, and I'm hoping uh, listeners are all already engaged with your subtitle, a, a daughter's caregiving journey to the edge of life. Can you give us a little bit uh, um, bef- before we sort of dive in a bit a bit of an overview of of the book and 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 how you sort of stepped into this idea that um, there was power behind the story. Well, the book is as as the title says, and I'll have to explain the title, I think. But it is a 10-year period where I was involved in, uh, I call it an arc of caregiving. Right. It's not all the same intensity. But where um, the work I was being paid to do had to shift and where my ideals for a gorgeous second career had <laughs> to be set aside and mm. so on, it was a, that kind of period. And I'm an identical twin, and uh, my twin sister and I have always been super, super connected, as twins often are. And uh, we came to the conclusion that this caregiving thing was going to happen and that we would do it together. Okay. So we did it, and it went on, and when the caregiving was over, that was January 2011, There's a a period of rumination and gratitude that it's over and let's get on with life and so on. But I I have been a writer, not of full-length books, but of various kinds of products. And so that itch to um, write it uh, eventually became what Judy, my twin sister, said, oh, for God's sake, just do it. (laughs) Right, right, (laughs) right, just just get it done. Just stop. Stop talking about, about it. it. When you say, and Janet, when you say this caregiving thing, you mean you mean though in a very personal way. This is this is your family. This was your mom and dad. This is not yeah. you were doing this professionally. No, uh, fa- the family caregiver is the the uh, labor of love, non professional. Mm. Uh, and you know, there's a lot of us. There's one in four Canadians mm. this year is doing family ca- what they call informal caregiving or family caregiving. One in four. Well. And that means that whether they're a neighbor or a friend or a a daughter or a spouse, something uh, needs to happen for the cared for uh, to get through the day. And they call that activities of daily living. Activities of daily living. And so I have so many questions about all of this, and I've had a few guests on over the last couple of years, including a filmmaker, about, you know, talking about this end of life and the crisis and and the ethics around it and and just all the details and the love and the care and the concern, too, that really comes out of these conversations is quite remarkable. Uh, You say one in four. I actually was surprised by that as I read the book. And and by the way, I love the book. I just, I love the way you tell it as a story. This is not an academic essay. This is... This is very personal, very intimate. You really do peel back the layers in such a beautiful and and, and relational way. So th- thanks for that. Um, but one in four surprised me. I actually thought, wow, that's that's better. Th- th- those are higher numbers than I would have thought. You know, yeah, I, I do yeah. I do a lot of a, a lot of traveling with my work, and 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 I get into other cultures. And when they found out that my father, my dad, who passed away a few years ago, um, he had Parkinson's forever, and so this is a really relevant conversation for me. When they found out that we had put, or my mom had decided to put my dad in this, you know, this place, this hospital, this this care facility, this friend of mine, this dear friend and family of mine in Cambodia, they were horrified. Yeah, you know we, I, they don't they don't do that in, in yeah. you know in their culture, and yet it sounds like twenty five percent of Canadians 
are, are, are staying close to home? Well, 25 percent of Canadians um, are are not talking about it, and so when the household survey right. was done in whatever the year, twenty twelve or whatever, mm. uh, the stats can folks had to do a, a a review of that because they didn't see that that could be true, but it's true, and mm. it's the mm. same in the states and in mm. Australia and in the UK, it's this. Um, uh, demographic shift and this right. desire to be at home and and uh but I, i've got a story about this cultural thing i um was getting ready to be um interviewed in calgary uh and as you may know what happens first is you get a a pre-interview with the producer who in this case happened to be a second generation chinese young man oh okay yeah and he he started in on this you know in my culture we don't right. blah blah right. you know right. right and i at first thought oh my god this is going to be uh you know socket to the caregiver at, sure. you know or socket <laughs> to the canadian and um it didn't happen that way um thank goodness but afterwards one of the people that i've engaged with uh, around the book is a, a chinese uh canadian and I sent her an email uh, to ask for her thinking on that. And she came back and she said, well, two things. One, thank God there's still the young generation that thinks it's important to look after the older mm. generation. Number two, it's a crock. <laughs> because as the, uh, as the Chinese culture comes into Canada or whatever, the reality is, is you you um, um, ha- you have to deal with caregiving in a different way than within the family. The, the mother is gone; she's working, and uh, there aren't eight kids. There's two kids, or one point three kids, and all all the rest of it. So I was relieved. I I, I do I do start the book with um, uh, a recollection of what it was like for my great grandmother dying at home. And then I talk about what it was like for uh, my my mother looking after her mother, who's my grandmother, going out to work and ultimately having the boss at work say, well, you know, Betty, you're going to have to make up your mind. What is it that you want to do? Right. And she had to put my grandmother into uh, care. Mm, and right. it was a terrible uh, guilt, shame, oh, taboo wow. for right. her. Uh, which she carried is now 15 years later, and she's still weeping about it. Is that right? And wow. Yeah. And so, yeah, the culture is shifting, and we hate that, <laughs> but it's shifting. And, do, and is that, do you think it's, um, hmm, is it a, is it a relational is, reason that it's shifting? Is it, is it a financial thing, or is it a bit of both? Is it, we, are we becoming uh, more um, uh, concerned <laughs> about our, about well, our loved ones? Well, it's, 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 it's shifting because the the economics of Canada is shifting, and now you need the two incomes. Right. And you, um, uh, and that's a reality. Uh, not always, but right, generally, right. woman goes out to work and loves to go out to work. Just as you were saying, David, it's kind of nice to go to an office and have people around. So that means that the person who was the designated caregiver in the old paradigm of uh, care is happening within the family. She's not there anymore. And uh, the system has g- gradually responded mm, mm. to that 
crunch by building more and more residential living. Right. And I think, um, you know, we we can be moved to think about different ways of thinking, if I can put it that way. It's awkward. By by a system that tells us what's good and what we should want and what we should be, you know believe in as as important, and so the uh, long term care residential care assisted living or long term care has grown because we've needed it and because we've gradually come to a culture that says yeah darn good that's right, the way to go right, right tell 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 me a little bit about the system you 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 refer to it as Goliath in in, in the book. <laughs> Uh, and I think somewhat affectionately, but maybe not always. <laughs> so, so could you unpack that a little bit for us? Well, well, the in in all the Western world and the developed countries, there is a system that would be probably called Goliath of a bureaucracy that sets up very, very large around health services, and that's you know what I meant in the book and navigating all the uh, disparate parts of the health services becomes what a big, big job uh, of the caregiver is, uh, especially at some stages, because nobody's talking to anybody. But um, the, 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 the system is, is struggling to figure out the best way of handling the, the frail elderly person uh, who has one or two or three chronic diseases, none of which is going to kill them, like a cancer or, you know, consum- uh, heart failure, but which is going to uh, re- remove an aspect of their capability to live a life without help. And so that, that system is having to put money into how are we going to do that. We don't want these people in a hospital, acute care, because it's so very expensive to do that. We want, and we can't put them in home care necessarily because the caregiver daughter has gone so right. what are we going to do in the middle and that's what uh it's just, that's and, all about and 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 how is and you you talk about the silver tsunami and how how i mean is the system in your mind is it is it set up well to 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 uh provide for what's coming no no mm. not not right now and that's that's a, a lot of the uh reason why I, you write a book, you put the book away, right. you know. Um, well, did I, and, you, I, and, and it's why you become an advocate, right? I mean, and it's why you yeah. become an advocate, because for sure the system is deer in the headlights around right. this uh, demographic shift that's coming. I mean, uh, by the time my grandson, who's two, is uh, getting his driver's license or, you know, finishing high school, uh, one in four Canadians is going to be over 65. Right. And at 65, you're still doing pretty well. But uh, as my husband puts it, there's a, a a period in that end stage of life, the go-go and then the go-slow and then the no-go. <laughs> right. And you're still go-go in 65, having a great time. But it's inevitable that you begin to lose capacity. So it's go-go, go-slow, no-go? Be, <laughs> yeah. You get to be go slow, and you know your knees don't work, and you know you're breathless on a hill, and so on. Yep. And then ultimately, you just need help toileting or getting right, fed, right, and so right. on. And uh, it it is we we've got this rich gift of longevity sure, out yep. of the medical miracles, right, yes. but unfortunately, it hasn't kept up with 
Right, it's, it's it's created it's created other other issues for sure as well. I'd love to talk a little bit about that. You do get into that uh, that whole end of life conversation. I think near the end of the book, you talk you talk a little bit about um, well-meaning physicians and uh, and and what they might be uh, hoping to do or or offering to do. You know, to to end end a life. I'd love to chat about that, the ethics of it. But before before we go there, um, can you can you um, hmm. Can, can you can you sort of contextualize this a little bit for us personally? Uh, your dad lived to ninety two, uh, your mom lived to eighty eight, I believe. Yeah, 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 she was worn out at eighty eight. Yeah, so we were we were we, were we no go? At, like were they were oh, they? Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, my father ultimately, you know, as I say, you have a number of chronic conditions. He. He would list them with great delight because he had that kind of sense of humor. <laughs> but I think, and then, and then all the, and then all of the applicable medical uh, treatments and and, and, oh, med- yeah. and medicines as well, right? He probably quoted it even down to the footnotes in medical journals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, he 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 was that kind of a, right. a researcher, and and you him, know yeah. something's got to give you joy. So Waldenstrom's <laughs> macroglobulemia right. might be fun. That's right. But yes. what finally got him was dementia. Mm. And uh, that was in, in dementia. He fell and hit his head. He had a, a possibility of a brain bleed when he was mm. sent into emergency. Uh, but he also had to do uh, a care, a care, an advanced care, which is comfort care, meaning don't do anything radical. Right. The emergency said, well, I mean, if we can't operate on the guy, we can't do anything for him, so he's got to go back. So um, he uh, was going back to his assisted living, um, which was his home. And my sister in Calgary phoned to say, we're on our way. And the assisted living facility said, oh, no, you're not. We're not taking him back hmm. because he's now too, uh, too impaired for us to be able to handle that. Wow, okay. So, uh, and in the book I talk about it too, is this guy in the de- de- you know, uh, uh, departure lounge of the uh, hospital uh, in the middle of the coldest Calgary winter that ever was, shivering in a wheelchair, homeless. And uh, that is a a reality of assisted living is for the uh, go-slow types, not the no-go types. Right, right. And how do they get rid of you? Well, they just don't take you back if you've had an ER visit. Mm-hmm. So his end was um, that brain bleed right. that wasn't uh, taken care of. And, you know, who, who knows? Before you die, you don't know you're going to die. But two weeks later, he was gone. Mm. And my mother was um, uh, more, uh, more typical but less typical in a way. She was absolutely cognitively 100% intact but mostly sleeping. And she was paralyzed and blind and needed help with everything. And uh, she had, uh, again, a list of chronic conditions as long as your arm, none of which she was delighted about like my father was. But uh, they did her in. And she she suffered more than my father because she was this beautiful brain inside this paralyzed, almost semi-vegetative state for two and a half, three years. 
Is this, and I would imagine this is what's kind of fed into, clearly fed into the, the title of the book for you. I mean, did, yeah. you, did you go through a long list of titles? Did you struggle with... Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the titles went The titles went with where I was in... At the, in, t- at the time, sort of? Yeah. Right. Like, uh, uh, Dutiful Daughter was right. one. That okay. was during yeah. my Angrave draft. Right. And uh, right. right On was a title that okay. was... In the, in the you know let's uh, let's put a, a smiley face on all sure, of this sure. draft and so on, but ultimately dwindling is the word that um, is the truthful word around what the medical person would call uh, a multiple complex uh, uh, chronic conditions, frailty, right. advanced aging, right, and and in our world that we've been talking about, that's the way most of us are going to pass out of this world. Uh, 70% of us are going to die that way. Wow. So according se- to some of the statistics. 70% so, of us are going yeah, dwind- to dwindle. Are going to dwindle, and they're going to need care for wow. two years, three years, you know, more like what my, my mother, well, my father too. So forget this um, aneurysm on the 18th hole after a hole-in-one right. idea. Uh, or even forget this, well, I'm just not going to stick around when things mm, get hard mm. idea, because mostly what's going to happen is that it's going to be a sort of a need creep through to Interesting. Uh, a very tough time, and then you're so you're going to die of so something that will surprise everybody. It will surprise everybody. I, w- I absolutely want to talk a little bit, too, more about your sister and, and your husband as well, because you, you very intimately kind of portray that, that part of the challenge or those challenges that were, were raised. What, what has this done for you um, with respect to, you know, just thinking about death? I mean, you know, are, are we prepared? Do, do we talk about it enough? Um, should we be raising this more with our children? I, you know, my son's at an age now where he's asking, and he's been asking them for years, but these, you know, pretty profound, deep, philosophical, theological, um, uh, cosmological questions, you know? Right, and so he'll right. every now and then, Dad, if you, you know, how, how would you like to die? You know, would you rather this or would you rather that? <laughs> You, know? you tell them about the aneurysm yeah. on the 18th. Yeah, that's oh. right. That's right. And so, okay, I think I, I, I'd like to go in a surfing accident, you know, <laughs> or, you know, something really kind of romantic, you know. But, yeah. but has it, has it provided, it must have provided opportunities for you, even maybe post or during writing, to say, to, to have some pretty profound thoughts on, 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 you know, death and dying. Yeah, yeah. Well, personally, y- yes. And uh, as part of the advocacy that I'm doing, Bigger yes. Right. And as the society is moving, I think, biggest yes. Because, mm. you know, it, it, we are the boomers, and we're this huge demographic moving through. And, right. You know, when we were needed primary schools, they were built. And when we needed birth control, we got it. And so on through our lifespan. And now the first uh, boomer turned 65 a few years ago. Now we're all the big, huge lump of us at the end. Right. And we're pretty well educated, and we're a pretty loud bunch. Yep. And so what's emerging is, is, is something, when I look at it, it's almost called a death-positive movement, hmm. in a way, that more um, uh, mindful people are uh, ready to come to grips with the fact that life right. ends and we have choices around that and we should be thinking about that and telling our kids do you, so, so do that you, what 
Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's good. I was just going to say, so then you would, you would clearly, I think, argue that the more we talk about it now, you know, in our, uh, what would we say, the go slow phase or maybe the go-go phase, yeah. uh, that's going to allow us to, I don't know, um, provide a better quality of life and, yeah. and, and maybe more importantly, provide better care for others that's right. at the end of life. Yeah, we're, we're all, uh, as boomers, and my advocacy is, as boomers, we better speak up mm. and look for a better deal because we're next. We've been through right. what it looks like right. with our parents. Sure. And if you don't like what you see, well, what would you like? And right. let's work towards that. Yeah, yeah. And, and just to sort of close that loop on that, that the 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 the, the, the cross-cultural commentary you were making earlier, your, your comment was really quite positive in the sense that, uh, I think, um, t- um, tell me if I'm wrong, but that, that we, we are kind of globally uh, getting better at this. Yep, yeah. Um, it's uh, never as fast as you like. Mm. You know, your, your desire is way ahead of sure. the, the reality through, a, through a, something so uh, unwieldy as a Goliath. Right. But uh, we, in my world, and I know I choose my world, I live in a little bubble like we all do. And in my little bubble, we have deaf cafes and we have, have you read this book? And right. we're, we're, we're looking at a growing, growing body of literature about uh, how to handle uh, end of life uh, uh, existentially as well right. as sure. in the practical matters. Well, that's, yeah, that's wonderful. Deaf cafes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Sounds Have you riveting. heard about those? I haven't. No. Do you guys oh, play well. uh, shuffleboard or? <laughs> Doesn't sound well. It's it's meant like the title of my book to sort of hit you between the eyes. That's right. But it's 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 a movement. It's a movement that started in the UK not so long ago, maybe um, within the last ten years, and it is part of this death positive. Mm. We have to mm. talk about right. it. Right. Right. And it's, it's good. to do something to peel away the the taboo and the 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 almost shame about it. Yeah, right. And right. so what happens is all over the world, there's thousands of them. Um, it's uh, for two hours. You come and there's cake and there's cookies, and there's tables of four, and there's no agenda other than that whatever comes up. Uh, is going to be what's talked about. Wow, that's amazing. And uh, table for some it, reason, for some reason, tables of four makes me smile. I don't know why. <laughs> oh well, I mean, if if you're a conversationalist, <laughs> it's you know, table of five leaves somebody out. That's right. Table that's of right. two is got to be inclusive bit. when we're talking yeah. about end of life. Yes. Well, and uh, there'll be lurkers and silent yes. people, oh, but I there'll bet. be people who've come with an agenda yep. and a, a table of four can manage that a little bit better well there's a lot of i mean there i mean you know uh, there's there's uncertainty there's i guess there's a mystery there's a fear i suppose around talking about things of which we don't really know much about right until we've until we've been kind of tossed into it or and this is precisely i guess why you're an advocate and, and why you've written the dwindling and so on to to you know to provide not not maybe a manual but a, a way forward for others yeah uh, i think it's um I believe, lots of people believe, but I certainly believe that there is no change that ever happens uh, until the stories start getting told. Mm, nice. And the That's more great, of us... great thought. Yeah. Um, uh, Tom King said that, too. All we are is our stories. But 
once we are comfortable with telling our story or a piece of it, other people become comfortable with telling their story too. And you can't, you can't, the roadmap of how that's going to lead to changing the way Goliath behaves or the way money is spent uh, in the GDP mm-hmm. or what the values are, you're not in control of that, but you are in control of sharing your story. So, so Janet, tell me a little bit more, and then I want to talk about uh, about your husband briefly, but how, why why doesn't change happen until you start telling your story? What What is it about that? Why is that such a catalyst for moving moving society and and, and, and relationships in life forward? Uh, well, I, I think, you know, that a story is a, a from-the-heart thing. Mm-hmm. And a fact or a statistic or a report is a from-the-head thing. Sure. And I think we uh, pay more attention to the from-the-heart stuff, which might then drive us to the mm-hmm. head stuff mm-hmm. to find out more. But the thing about um, caregiving just to get back to that a little bit, is there's so much ambiguity in the feelings that a caregiver has. Right. Uh, they're maybe afraid they would start to cry sure. or that they would start to abuse their cared for <laughs> with anger or they have doubts that they've done things right, right or caregiving is over and they're just so sick of it they want to move on right. or too tired or R- burned out. Sure, yep. The result is you don't tell your story. And the mass of us not talking about it is the, now, I mean, my career was in uh, uh, government, in policy. The oh, so you were, of, you were a part of Goliath. Oh, yeah. I understand Goliath really <laughs> well. <laughs> because everything that was done to me, I've done to others. Right. Funny. But I do know that you uh, need stakeholders speaking up. And the squeaky wheels stakeholders, and they're there too, and they have needs, but who do speak up, get attended to a whole lot quicker by this Goliath with its, you know, sort of hard of hearingness. And uh, so you get more ambulances and more big pharma, you know, uh, designer drugs and fewer home care workers that help out uh, the end of life. And palliative care is nowhere. And MAID is wonderful. We we're all looking at assisted dying with great glee and bringing it on very fast in the society. But meanwhile, one in three Canadians who needs help in the dying, the palliative care, don't fix me, just keep me comfortable. Mm-hmm. One in three is going to get it. It's terrible. So that's a silent, invisible army of right. people not speaking. And my, my, my little voice is to say, Tell your story. Tell, tell your story. No, I couldn't. I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, Richard Ragumis, um, who I'm sure you're familiar with, mm-hmm. his, his 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 phrase is "Stories are meant to heal." Yeah. You know, and I think I think there's a there's a, a we can empathize with others. It's a step in to somebody else. It's, uh, it's right. There's a shared intimacy there when you actually start to you build on this kind of authentic and transparent way of, of connecting with others, and I think it's marvelous. Yeah. Um, I'm going to read a little bit from uh, chapter 14. Quote: It wasn't exactly a kidnapping. Mom was never a prisoner in River Vista Manor. Still, everyone was appalled at first. My husband had a list of concerns. I wondered if they disguised what I suspected was his underlying problem. Quote, I need you too. What about me? Close quote. I had no answer to give him. 
Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, and, and, and maybe it's not in just relation to him, but to your family as a whole, to your sister. How did it, you know, did, how did it ultimately bring you guys together or push you apart? Uh, it must have been, I mean, I, I know I've, I've had some experience with it, but I know it must have been just a challenge on so many levels. Yeah, yeah, well, it is a challenge. Good good word for it. I mean, uh, my particular husband has got to be the hero of the story, being the most... <laughs> patient person ever. But he had needs too, and ultimately, you know, was squeezed enough to speak to them. Right. But, you know, I couldn't be in Calgary and in the West Coast at the same time. And uh, my head had space for one thing and not another. And caregivers everywhere will know what that means because they're pulled in so many different ways with kids and whatever. Uh, As to siblings, because I come from a family of seven, and in the end, two of us took 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 on the project. Right. Um, and and it was stressful, mm. and there's anger in that, and and um, some pretty hard conversations. But part and part of the part of the post caring reflection is. So what are you going to do with that? Right, um, right. Uh, your parents would just cringe in their graves if they thought that their passing uh, pulled apart the family. Right. And, you know, siblings don't get to, you know, pick each other, but they have <laughs> one common cause. And it, the thing that unites them all is the love for parents mm. or, you know, the relation with parents. Sure, sure. So... Uh, we had a lot of family meetings, and uh, there's a lot of uh, forgiveness that Judy and I had to work through, mm. and and there was a lot, not so much as there could have been. I'd recommend more conversations with siblings about, you know, you can't help change the diapers, but could you do the taxes? Right, <laughs> right, right. That kind right. of thing. Sure, sure, play to people's strengths. Yeah, so um, most uh, siblings is a big thing. And and handling siblings so that you don't get left with um, uh, an aftertaste of bitterness right. is is a job that should be happening, you know, in in inside the caregiving project right. as well. Right. Um, you, you sadly we're we're coming to the end of our our, our time together here uh, on online, and uh, but perhaps we're going to have to book a part two because we bar- I feel like we barely scratched the surface. Can you tell me a little bit about about something that you you talked about uh, offline with me? Your your senior strategy and and what you referred to as the edge. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, to what I what is. What is the edge is it's not those last three days, you know, the, the, the die is cast in those last three days or if weeks or whatever, when you become, as the medical profession says, actively dying. Mm. It's the edge. It's when you, the, the no-go. Right. It's the point where you know that you're not going to fix this and you're not, not going to stop the advanced old age. And what happens then? Uh, to how you're cared for and how uh, you you think about that and what values apply and we get into ageism and all of the things that we have to fight against. So, um, in 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 my terms, where I uh, really want to be headed now that I've written the book mm-hmm. is to be uh, uh, a person who tells my story 
as purely as I can. Right. And then says, now, you tell yours. Right. And right. so the senior strategy, people will say, so what, what's the point of that? And the point of that is that there are a lot of things going on that individual citizens with uh, computer skills or not can do to poke the Goliath and the, uh, you know, the, the government and everything to behave better for hmm. um, end-of-life, end edge-of-life. Right. And the senior strategy, it isn't a strategy, actually. It's just a framework so far. But if it's to become a strategy, it would be because everybody wrote their MP or okay. responded to a, um, something that's in the media. The, the media is full of stuff which is dreadful. And they've always got comment sections. You can respond or sure. you can yep. phone in. Yep. We, we have to be active in the ways that we're good at. You're, so you're, you're, you're calling people to act. Yeah. yeah. I'm saying, don't just sit with this. Right. Um, it's like the birthing movement. When we were young uh, uh, boomers having our babies, and you were supposed to have the doctor pull the baby out while you were anesthetized and said, that's not going to work for us. Everybody had to get to work to shift the way we think about yeah, birth. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, you know, mm. lots of the doctors working with palliative care would say it's just the other end <laughs> of the system. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's the, isn't it a beautiful phrase, that whole cradle to grave? And, 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 it is, and isn't really what we're talking about here living well. You know, ironically, we're talking about dying in the edge and, and having some sort of senior strategy in place or silver tsunami, whatever the words are you use for it. It's really about, about building stronger relationships, about relying on this sense of community and family and, and, and leaning on others in a, in a wise and wise way. And, yeah, and that, that makes yeah. sense. And that's what's yeah. so, it's so ironic and yet so beautiful about it at the same time. And, and, uh, well, I wish you so well with the book. I, I, uh, it's been, I've, I've read a few uh, reviews online. They're terrific. And it's, and really is just a, a, a beautiful, uh, read and it, and it, and it reads well and it, and it's an easy read. So I, re I highly recommend it to my, my listeners and I hope you guys get out there and, and pick it up. Now you have a website too, Janet, don't you? Um, yeah. Is it Journey? Is that it? Journey? It's called Journey's Press, all go. one word. Yep. Dot CA. Great. For Canada here. Excellent. Journey's Press dot CA to find out a little bit more about the book yeah. and, and you have a blog as well. Yeah. And it's the, the way to think about, well, how could you uh, get involved right. with your story? Right. Right. Wonderful. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time today. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, I, uh, maybe, maybe we can set up a part two in the, in the not-so-distant future. I'd go for that. There's more to say. There sure is. Thank, thanks, John. Okay. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.